Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. I want to start the programme this morning by going to Formoy to chat with a man who was thankfully, very thankfully, in the right place at the right time yesterday. Chris O'Donovan uh, joins me. Chris, uh, good morning to you, Chris. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, listeners. Uh, and well known to this programme for the fantastic work that you do with the wheelie boat in Formoy. OK, it was Thank yesterday you. morning. Take What time did it happen? What happened and where were you? Well, it was around... 12.30 uh, at lunchtime yesterday, I was coming down through the old army camp opposite Amber Garage above the Dublin Road. Um, I was up there walking my dog and I was coming down, approaching the exit where, where there's a pond. There's a large pond to the right and there's a pond to the left hand side of the exit. And uh, I noticed a young boy on the opposite bank and he was running around a little frantically and uh, I was wondering, what's, what's going on here? And when I approached um, the bank of the pond, I could see it a small young one in the middle of the pond, her head was just above the waterline. So I, I just didn't even hesitate. I, I, I just went straight into the water, uh, into the pond, and uh, um, got out to her. And uh, I could see that she was sitting on a, on a rock, but obviously she, if she stood up, she'd have been, she'd have, she'd have been up, over, uh, up over the water, but it have been up over her head. So she was frantically crying and screaming. So I asked her to put her hands up, and she put her hands up, and I, and I lifted her clean out of the water. And um, I turned and uh, brought her back to um, dry land, and uh, she was hysterical. And uh, the little boy had come around to me then, her brother, and said that she she followed her ball into the water. And uh, so I knew that, uh, that she lived nearby, so I went to towards the home where I met her mother and handed her over to her mother, and her father was frantically looking for her. But the, the, the problem is, when she was in the pond, she, she had the sense to sit down on the rock. But in doing so, she couldn't be visible from any side of the pond. Are you with me? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. She was clever enough, even though she was very young, she was clever enough not to try walk on the surface of that pond because it's heavy-duty plastic. And it's full of algae, so she would have slipped and went under the water. Oh so, God! It so just doesn't bear thinking about. No, no, I was really, really, I, I was really, really in shock afterwards. And uh, no, I did go back to the, to the family and uh, insist that they bring them to bring her to the doctor. And it's already... it's a typical story of a child. The ball goes in. She doesn't realize. She obviously didn't realize how deep it was. No, she she didn't realize. It's usually very very shallow anyway. But uh, uh, with all the rain we've had lately. It does fill up. It's a fairly, it can be a fairly deep pond when it does fill up, you know. 
And you reckon oh, yeah. you, 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 she was about four, wasn't she? Reckoned. I, I, I reckon she was about four. Okay. But, uh, I'm not too sure. Okay, I'm, I've I'm got, really I've sure. got, I've got her, her mother, her relieved mother, Emma Driscoll, on the other line. Good morning, Emma. Good morning. Uh, for, it's it's your it's your daughter, Crystal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And what age is she? She's actually three. Three, oh, bless her heart. And who? And what brother? Her brother. What age? Her brother is, is five. And he what? What's his name? Paddy. Paddy, and it was Paddy was frantically with her. Yeah, they were playing. They were playing ball together, and I think the ball kind of wandered, and the child, of course, with no sense, went after the ball, um, not realizing the dangers. Um, but thankfully, and we are more than grateful that Chris was there and acted so quickly because it could have been the outcome could have been an awful lot worse. We could be having a very different discussion uh, today for sure. Yeah. And how is Crystal today? She's fine, thanks yeah. be to God. Um, she didn't get any sicknesses out of it, thank God. Great. Um, so we were very, very lucky, being honest, you know, and with the help of Chris as well, I suppose. And we want to thank him as well for that. Um, because as I said, it could have been an awful lot different. And for a little three-year-old, she had the sense to sit on the rock. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, she, she obviously might, might have been slipping before she actually got to where the ball was, you know. Yeah. And then, and she had the sense to sit down, which is incredible for a three-year-old. Yes. And um, uh, as Emma said, you know, it could have been a different, different headlining for my this morning. Uh, yeah. Only for me co- coming along, and, and I'm not being big-headed about it. Just, I, I'm just grateful that I was there for her, you know. So, and because uh, she's a gorgeous, gorgeous little girl. And, well, um, come here, d- don't take away from what you did, man. You're a hero. You're certainly a hero, <laughs> and you're a hero in uh, Emma to your family and to everybody else. He is a hero, isn't he, Emma? Yeah, of course. I mean, as I said, if he wasn't there and he acted so quickly. Um, you know, it could have been an awful lot worse, so we'll never be able to thank him enough for it. Um, I, we, I would did. Okay. And a chat with Emma and Paddy about not going into water to let the ball there. Yeah. yeah. That's the ball, yeah, yeah. Uh, Children will be children for sure. Okay, good. Um, d- d- delighted that it is a happy news story to start uh, with. Once again, Chris, uh, well done. And Emma, thank you for joining us as well. Yeah, no problem. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. You're Bye-bye. Welcome, Thanks, Patricia. Okay, God, God bless. Stay safe. That is uh, Chris O'Donovan who saved that little three-year-old girl uh, yesterday. How easily accidents uh, can happen. 1850 Talking of inspirational children. And my thanks to Margaret Moriarty in Castletown Bear, who has sent me on a gorgeous, happy St. Patrick's Day card. And she's this day next week, isn't it? It's going to be St. Patrick's Day. And I was unaware of these cards. These are the latest from little Adam King with his virtual hug. And it's a St. Patrick's Day version of... Adam's virtual hug cards and they're in green for St. Patrick's Day and it says in the inside it's an Irish hug for you and similar to the cards that they brought out for Valentine's Day where you can cut out the heart on the inside it's got the it's got the the dotted lines where you can carefully cut it out and of course young Adam himself says to anybody that gets these to, to cut them out and then put 
have so you'll have your own virtual hug that you can carry around with you if you want or you can pin it up somewhere you can colour it in yourself it's gorgeous I was un- unaware that those cards are out so they're out keep looking out for those they're out Osquelga a virtual hug for you from from the Adam King range of cards I imagine we're going to be seeing lots and lots of these cards and thank you to Margaret Moriarty in Castletown there for thinking of me on the programme for St Patrick's Day vaccine rollout lots of coverage in the paper today on the vaccine rollout plans and the fact that we heard yesterday that it changed 15 it's changed 15 to 17 times already and this of course is all down to the unreliable shipment of doses in the country and of course at the close of the programme yesterday we had the very disappointing news to relay to people in Castletown Bear when one of the local doctors there contacted us to say how disappointed they were but they got the news to say that they weren't going to have enough vaccines to distribute in the Castletown Bear area and that is so disappointing because people get contacted people get told that you know you come on such and such a time to get your vaccination and then to discover that the doctor has to ring to say sorry we don't have enough vaccines we were led to believe we were going to be getting enough to say vaccinate 50 people now we've been told we're only going to get enough to to vaccinate 30 people and then everybody in the doctor's practice they're so disappointed but then having to make those phone calls to the patients patients that they have known for many many years and patients who trust them so much and it's just soul destroying for the GP practices and my thanks to it was Dr Yvonne Hayes of the GP practice in Clan who contacted us yesterday just to say could you please let people know that we don't have enough vaccines for now they will come on stream but just yesterday it was just bitterly bitterly disappointing for people yesterday and Paul Reid the Chief Executive of the HSE. He was speaking at the Oireachtas Health Committee yesterday and I feel for him as well. He says, look, we've been, it's very challenging in what is a very, very difficult time. Initially, supply of 1.7 million doses had been predicted. That's what we were expecting to get by the end of March. That figure has been revised a number of times. It eventually was revised down to 1.24 million. But now they're saying that by the end of this month, they won't even have reached 1.24 million realistically now they're saying it could be at 1.1 million doses or 1.2 million but that could even sneak into the first week in April. So the IDA have already examined the practicalities of making vaccines in this country but he says at this moment in time it's not uh, feasible. Nonetheless he said Ireland is currently in the top five in in Europe for vaccination vaccinations. 3% of the population have been fully vaccinated and at least 10% of Irish people have received their first shot. So when we're comparing with other European countries we're doing well but then some will say yeah that's okay. Everyone in Europe is not doing well and that's the reason that we're so high up is because of the slow rollout of vaccinations across the whole of uh, Europe. And then we're all waiting on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Now it seems it's emerged yesterday that Johnson & Johnson Johnson have told the European Union that it's it's going to face supply uh, issues that could complicate plans. Johnson & Johnson had promised 55 million doses of its vaccine to member states in the second quarter of this year but they're now saying that they don't expect to meet that uh, uh, target. 600,000 doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine will be delayed 
in this country now, perhaps until May or June. That's if the initial supplies are low. It, and the Johnson & Johnson, of course, is the US vaccine. And it's the one that has been described as the game changer because it just requires one shot and it's much more easier to handle for the GPs. Uh, Paul Reid says they were expecting 3.8 million doses of four vaccines, which is the Pfizer, the BioNTech, uh, the Moderna and the Oxford AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. They're expecting that in May, April, May and June. He said the next quarter is again going to sing, see swings and roundabouts between suppliers and some other suppliers coming on uh, board. But the news comes that's amid the ongoing evidence that the impact that the vaccine is having on nursing homes is Real, It's a real, real success. Positivity rate is now at 0.2% of residents in nursing homes. That is the real success story. And there's also a 95% reduction in infections in hospital staff. So we know that the vaccines are working. We just need to get them. And the government, by the way, has sought, I have to say without success, to source extra vaccines from other European countries. And they've also gone to the EU, but they still have no plans at this stage to seek extra supplies from outside the EU framework. They're still sticking with the EU. The government also sought to try to convince pharma companies like Pfizer and Merck Sharp and Dome to manufacture vaccines in Ireland, which obviously that would help boost our supply. It offered to assist with the cost of reconfiguring reconfiguring plants here in Cork and also in Carlo, if that could help to produce the uh, vaccine. But unfortunately, those attempts were unsuccessful. And it also has been confirmed that the Irish government has spoken to the British government and in particular the British Prime Minister I'm assuming that must have been a chat with the, the Taoiseach uh, he had went into discussions with the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson about the possibility of any vaccines that they might have left over that they be they would send our way but the Prime Minister Boris Johnson made it very clear that they need all of their supplies at the moment. Now whether that will change, they're gone well over 20 million people have been vaccinated so it's possible that they will end up with extra vaccines and maybe they'll be able to send some our way but it does look like the Irish government and our Taoiseach Michal Martin has reached out to Boris to see if there was any spare vaccines um, going. And looking at our figures for COVID-19 on the positivity, they're falling all the time One of the lowest figures in quite some time yesterday announced 311 was the figure for yesterday, 21 of them uh, here in uh, Cork. But I also noticed there was no cases identified in the border counties yesterday in Donegal, in Monaghan, in Cavan and in Leitrim. And I'm assuming that that is directly attributable to how well the vaccine rollout is going in the north. And it also shows the success of the rollout in the north because when the Northern Ireland's figures were sky rocketing and at one stage they were way ahead of us here in the south and that was being reflected on the border counties. All of the border counties were seeing spikes in positivity for COVID-19 because of people travelling over, you know, working over across the border or going to school or shopping or whatever it was and obviously they were the spread of COVID-19 was spreading across the border to the border counties. So it was interesting yesterday to see that those border counties had no cases identified. And that certainly very much would would tie in with the fact that so many people now, it's over half a million, I think, have been vaccinated in Northern Ireland. So it's just proving that the vaccine certainly is working. 1850-333-103. And says, Patricia, I'm getting fed up with all of the negative feedback from the media when it comes to the vaccine rollout. It's worth 
report stating that vaccines can't be made overnight. They take time to produce and to produce correctly. And the Artishok Michal Martin has approached Germany and other EU countries, including the EU, to ask for spare vaccines. The, those countries have all said no, they're using them for their own population. People just have to be patient. Please wait. The vaccines are on the way, even if we have to wait until May or June. And that's from Anne by text. Some of you text in Evelyn and Harry in uh, Fomoy. Uh, hugely complimentary and why not of Chris Kipper O'Donovan, as he's known in Fomoy, who we started the programme with, who saved the, the little Crystal O'Driscoll, a little three-year-old who could there could have been such a tragic, tragic story yesterday. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, Evelyn and Harry said... Um, and I didn't see the text unfortunately until Chris was gone off the line ask Kipper just how many lives he has saved it's unbelievable it's not just one Uh, Chris O'Donovan makes this world a better place he is a local hero and he should be given recognition I hope Cork County Council are listening and that's from Evelyn and Harry in from Oya he's a real hero and and I know even listening to him when I mentioned he doesn't want to see himself as a hero he was just glad that he was there at the right time spotted the little girl didn't even think about it went straight in and managed to uh, save her. Okay, on vaccines. Hi Patricia, if you want a loaf of bread this evening and you go to your local shop and they don't have one, I'm sure, what would you do? You'd go to the next shop for one. If they didn't have the Brennan's, which was your choice of bread, I'm sure you'd settle for Pat the Baker. Our government need to get the finger out and sort any vaccine now, says uh, Hendrick. Well, they say that they've gone, certainly around the houses in Europe, they've gone to other European countries in particular to France and to Germany, who seem to be stockpiling their vaccines. They don't seem to be using their vaccines as quickly as we are. That's why we here in Ireland, when you look across Europe, we're one of the better countries because as soon as the vaccines come in, in fairness to the HSE, they're getting them out, they're getting them to GP practices, they're getting them to vaccination centres, they got them into the nursing homes, they got them into the residential unit. We're certainly not sitting on vaccines in this country. In other European countries, they are and sources say that the members, some members from the government did go to the countries that do seem to be stockpiling them to see could we take some of the vaccines that they're not using at the moment but unfortunately their efforts were rebuffed as I mentioned they've also put the hand out to the British government to say if you've got any spare but all of these countries are saying no we're hanging on to them we, we need all of our own supplies but I think some people are critical that the government are not looking outside the EU framework the government have said from the start that we're committed to the supply under the EU programme therein lies the problem because the EU programme has been slower and there's been supply issues within the EU programme so they're not looking outside of that now that's it's not that they can't because we know that we were we know that Hungary for example they went straight to Russia and they got their Sputnik a million of their Sputnik vaccines from them to administer so it's not that we can't do it we can but we are the government are sticking with the decision to stay within the EU framework but Hendrik is saying maybe it is time now to look outside of that Thank you for that Hendrik Some of your reaction coming still coming into us on the Harry and Meghan interview and then of course the news yesterday that Piers Morgan has stepped down from his programme Good Morning Britain where he's been so, so critical of Meghan Markle. Jared says, Patricia Piers Morgan, a new right-wing leaning news and opinion channel 
called GB News, headed up by Andrew Neil, is launching soon on all platforms, including Sky, which would suit Pierce Morgan perfectly. And speculation is the contract is already signed. So Jared says, I feel yesterday was probably theatrics. And don't be surprised to hear him joining GB News and an announcement soon. Well, I certainly think he's not going to retire for sure. I think we will, we're not, we haven't seen the end of Pierce Mor- Morgan. Uh, love him or hate him. We, we certainly haven't seen the end of him. And all also in on what on the fallout from the interview, Michael in Castletown Bear, Patricia High after 48 hours, the public got four sentences of well-crafted statement from the Royal Palace. It said it would deal with the problems privately. But in the interview, Harry and Meghan tried to handle it privately and in fact, they said they were ignored. Prince Charles shut them off and they felt abandoned. The Palace are trying to draw a line in the sand by dealing with it privately, hoping it would simply go away. The Royals really missed the boat by not using the assets that they had in Meghan. And perhaps some members of the royal family were resentful, even jealous of the attention that Harry and Meghan were getting. Let's not forget that there are people in the royal family who are made for this. Good breeding, good background, all of that. And now here comes along an American woman who happens to be of an African-American to the UK. Looks like she's stealing their thunder. It is understandable, but I'm sorry to say, that the day of demographic all over the world are changing and changing towards a more multicultural society. There was the greatest opportunity handed by Harry in Meghan and guess what? They just blew it. Thanking you and that's by from Michael by WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Now children as young as those in sixth class should be introduced to information about the impact of alcohol and given the chance to develop the ability to say no to peer pressure. Joining me to discuss a report from the national charity Drink Aware is their CEO uh, Sheena Horgan. Good morning to you Sheena. Good morning. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Do you think alcohol use among young people may have increased because of the pandemic? Well it's, it's very hard to look at the stats as to whether it has or it hasn't you know, statistically data-wise. But to be fair, if we consider that pre-pandemic, we knew that about 62% of drinking occasions were happening in the home setting. And obviously, because we are now confined to the home, so any and most of the alcohol consumption that's happening amongst adults will be happening in the home. We know that the home has and the home setting is a big influence on on children. So in terms of their ability to access it and the role modelling and their exposure, I suppose, to alcohol and alcohol consumption, so the finding itself, one of the findings were particularly interesting from the report. I mean, the report was, you know, independently being conducted by Minute. It was tracking students first, second and third year across three different years. Um, it was looking at their attitudes, their behaviour, their knowledge. And an emerging theme kept coming out with regards to parents in the home setting. So we know our children are accessing alcohol in the home. So 57% said their first drink was either in their home or someone else's. And then there's also kind of parents' attitude to, you know, whether they set the boundaries, whether they have those conversations. So the kind of long answer is yes, quite likely. Um, Certainly children's exposure to alcohol during the pandemic will have increased. Yeah. Uh, Your study is interesting. It's the Junior Cycle Alcohol Education Mm -hmm. Programme. First of its kind? 
It, it is. It's unique because it's specifically for second and third years. It's at that junior cycle age. And w- one of the things that's emerging from it is when we look at that tipping point of children going from second year to third year. Now, the average age of the first alcoholic drink in Ireland is 15. But the thing is, average doesn't tell the whole story. We know children as young as 13 are, are actually having uh, drinks, alcoholic drinks. So what this shows is that second to third year piece is where there's a shift in attitude, there's a shift in behaviour, there's a shift in, in peer engagement and social life and everything else as well. So there's lots of things on the go. So if we're looking at primary prevention, if we want to delay the age of the first drink, if we want to stop it before it starts, we have to be looking at a younger age. We have to be talking to them before it's almost even on their radar. So that's why we have this engagement from first year. We progress then on to second and third year. The programme has eight to ten lessons, which are delivered by the teacher. So there's a progression, there's a sustainability, there's a consistency to it, which allows them really to develop the knowledge, but also develop the skills. And you mentioned in the out that those social skills are really, really important for children to how do they make those decisions? How do they deal with peer pressure? Mm. And how do they formulate their own attitudes and opinions? And, and they need knowledge. Um, so there's, there's a lot in this. Um, there's a yeah, lot that, that peer pressure important. to have the confidence to stand up and say, no, yes. I, I, I don't yeah. want to drink. And did in the study, did the young people give reasons as to why they drink? Well, there were lots of reasons, which actually included somewhat disturbingly kind of coping reasons as well. And this is something as adults, like Drinkware is the national charity working to prevent and reduce the misuse of alcohol. So we do a lot of research amongst adults as to what their motivations are and coping and, you know, getting through the day because they're bored, because they're lonely, because they're looking for fun social outlets will be a lot of the reasons that come through. And we can see that almost being mirrored amongst the, the students. Now, peers did come into it to a lesser degree than, you know, because it's fun, because I'm bored. You know, with yeah. points coming through. Yeah, and I know um, there was eight local schools here in Cork mm-hmm. who took part yep. uh, in the yep. project. Have have the schools seen a notable shift in students in their attitude to alcohol over the three years? Well, it's it, it's one of the things that we're we're kind of particularly pleased about. We can see that teachers were saying at the outset and before we created the programme we talked to teachers and parents and students to see is there a need for this and teachers are saying there absolutely is a need we need to kind of change the attitudes we need to challenge some of the social norms and some of the myths we need to talk to our kids about the facts regarding alcohol so the impact of it on brain development on mental health and well-being and all of those things and certainly for the teachers who've engaged in the programme and in the evaluation the feedback that we're getting is they feel that there is a shift. There's a shift in attitude, there's a shift in knowledge and albeit a small one, it's still a statistically relevant shift in behaviour, which is ultimately where we want to get to. We want kids to delay that age of first drink, to delay as long as much as possible. And and certainly teachers are very receptive to the programme. You know, I think 93% said they would recommend it to other schools, which is, you know, a high accolade. Yeah, that's terrific. And to, as well. and to parents listening, uh, Sheena, they mm-hmm. really need to be aware that their parental drinking, the role that that has on children in the house. 
Absolutely. Role modelling is a really critical piece. And it's something that I think a lot of parents are conscious of, but we would always be be flagging and reiterating that. I mean, there's also some interesting stats on the students' perception that their parents don't mind them drinking as long as they're not drinking too much. So they'll have those kind of caveats in there. But it's a perception that the students have. So it's not necessarily the parents' viewpoint, but that's what the, the students think. So, you know, it's very important that parents have boundaries, have conversations and make it very clear. There's certainly we can see in terms of parents' ability to deter underage drinking, you know, 17% in third year said they hadn't started drinking because they were concerned about their parents' reaction. So so they didn't drink. So we can see that the parents have a really critical role as that deterrent, plus also then the role modelling is like everything else with being a parent, add it to our long list of things we need to do. You know, I'm a mother of four, so I, I, I know the complexities of this. It's not straightforward. But role modelling is really, really important for, for our kids with regards to consumption. Because, I, I mean, I take it the majority of young people, when they start to drink, they have no idea on the impact that alcohol can have on their overall health. I mean, that's not something yeah. they're ever going to think about. No, absolutely. And it's why the knowledge and the understanding piece is important. And and we know that we can see a shift in terms of our our students understanding the negative impact of alcohol on their physical, mental health and well-being. And they talk about that. I mean, the programme has lots of learning methodologies, so there's lots of room for walking debates, for discussion, for experiential kind of learning. And because of that, then, there's an element of positive peer pressure that comes in because the students are talking amongst themselves and discussing it. And certainly that impact on mental health and well-being, as well as physical well-being, brain development, sports achievements, all of those things is discussed and talked about and their knowledge is increasing after the programme. So what we can really see is ultimately the bottom line is there is a need for alcohol education amongst our young people, but an evidence-informed research-based programme can have a positive effect in terms of primary intervention and prevention. And, and that's what we need to be looking at and we need to be doing more of it and lots more of it. And you suggest get in there earlier rather than wait for first year to start well, running programmes like this in sixth class? I, I, I think there's certainly merit in looking at a younger age because that's what's coming through from parents and that's what's coming through from teachers. I'm not suggesting that's something that Drink Aware itself does, but what we have here is a programme that's now been evaluated and critiqued in a very independent and rigorous way. There are learnings from this and we have a best practice paper as to what good alcohol education looks like. So we can take that and apply it and share that with, you know, um, the formulation of a programme that might look at perhaps sixth class. It's those critical transition years are certainly, the research says, the key points when we need to be talking to our kids. So, so yes, looking at something um, in sixth class in primary schools would, would absolutely be beneficial. And also engaging the parents and bringing the parents more into it, certainly at that age and especially at that age. Well, well done on, on, on commissioning this study and particularly Thank well you. done to the schools who decided to, to get involved uh, as well. Uh, listen, yep. Sheena, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on Pleasure. the programme. Good morning to Thank you. you very much. That Bye-bye. is uh, Sheena Horgan, who is CEO of Drink aware 1850 there's a lovely whatsapp in about Chris O'Donovan who saved that little girl yesterday in from Moy where is it in the mid- in the middle of all these t- oh, there it is hi um, I want to wish and say a very big well done 
to Chris O'Donovan, my neighbour here on the Pike Road in Formoy for rescuing that poor little girl yesterday from the pond near the old army camp in Formoy. It doesn't bear thinking what might have happened to her had Chris not been around. We're all so proud of his bravery and his quick thinking. Chris does great work with the wheelie boat here in Formoy, providing a great service for wheelchair users and anybody with a disability who otherwise wouldn't get to travel up the picturesque River Blackwater in Formoy. He deserves an award for his bravery and quick thinking yesterday that ultimately saved the life of that little three-year-old girl uh, who wouldn't have lasted long more in the cold waters if hypothermia had set in. Well done once again to Chris O'Donovan on his bravery yesterday. Thank you for that. To 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Garthi are investigating reports of criminal damage last weekend in the Ballancolleg area. Cork City Councillor Colm Keller says local residents deserve to live in peace. And Colm joins me to outline what is going on. Uh, good morning to you, Colm. Good morning, Patricia. Um, this appears to be antisocial behaviour by a group of youths. Can you outline to us what has been reported? Look, I suppose, so recently within, I suppose, the last 12 months in and around, like, uh, the Balancholic area, and, um, like, the regional park is, uh, obviously, I'm sure you're familiar with it, it's a beautiful amenity we have. Absolutely. Up, you know, here in the southwest ward and in Balancholic, it's kind of the jewel in the crown, crown something we pride ourselves on. Um, it was in the care of Cork County Council um, from its inception. Um, and, you know, when it was handed over to the city council, um, during the boundary transition, it was, you know, it, it, it was in very, very high condition. And I'm delighted to say the Cork City Council have maintained the standard of care to the park. Unfortunately, um, you know, we were constantly trying to improve it. Um, and there was, I said, within the last 12 months, there was a spate of arson attacks in relation to um, recycled seating. Uh, it was made out of recycled rubber, effectively. Um, you know, just benches and tables and... Uh, you know, chairs and for people to sit down as they're, you know, enjoying the park. Unfortunately, um, there was a spate of arson attacks, as I said. They were pouring petrol over them and they started to burn them. Now, Cork City Council, um, you know, myself and other local reps here, we were constantly trying to liaise with the council and the Gardaí and, you know, how could we approach this being stopped? And unfortunately, we have to replace them with cast iron benches, you know, to make Isn't it. Isn't that such petrol. a shame? Such you know, a shame it, it, and such a waste of resources. And you look a waste of money as well because, like, you know, they were replaced with, like for like, with the recycled rubber. Um, it's a very kind of a hardened rubber um, and, you know, very environmentally friendly. Yeah. In, in, you know, we're, we're, we're all aware of uh, climate change and, you know, to be greener. And in fairness, Cork City Council took it upon themselves to use a recycled product to provide uh, the benches. And, um, you know, they were just, unfortunately, we had to go back to the cast iron ones. And so it's kind of like two steps back. You know, to no fault of our own. Okay, and what happened last weekend? Yeah, last weekend, um, over Friday night, um, there was, uh, I suppose, just uh, a group of youths uh, congregating. There's a walkway, the new walkway that would run along the the whole length. I suppose parallel with the village here in Balancholic. It's a beautiful walkway that has been upgraded, um, but there would be a housing uh, complex at the back of Balancholic called Miller's Court. Um, this is, uh, you know, effectively a cul-de-sac, but it's uh, looking out over this new walkway. 
Now, there is a dividing wall there, about three foot high, but it's got steel bars on top of it, which increases the height to about seven or eight feet. But in between that and the walkway, there's uh, waste ground effectively, and um, it's been sowed now at the moment for grass um, because it's fairly new. And there would be stones and large rocks that would have been, I suppose, spread out over, over over that waste ground while the grass is growing. And shrubs have been planted on the inner side of the wall, but they're they're they're, they're not mature yet. And the group of youths, effectively, um, you know, uh, started throwing stones at the houses across the way from Miller's Court, which is absolutely, oh. you know, on. You know, it, it's not right. You know, you families, young families there. You know, old old couples there. They're sitting in on a Friday night and um, suddenly, you know, there's eggs, or not eggs, stones being pelted off the window. Now, it, it, it was only kind of um, sporadic on the Friday night. The, 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 the major damage then happened on the Saturday night. Um, there was, uh, I, I got a call very late from a resident down there. They were, they were terrified. There was, there was effectively a large rock or, or, or stone hole thrown over the... the the dividing wall and it landed on top of the car and there was substantial damage done to it as well. So not only have they been terrorised, there's no criminal damage involved in it, you know. And, and of course you called, and I'm assuming residents called the Gardaí, but they're probably, they're well gone by the time the Gardaí arrive. You see, look, as I said, the regional park, it's a beautiful community, but it's over 300 acres and yeah. there are numerous access points into it. Now, um, we, we had the arson attacks last year and myself and other local councillors here called for I suppose CCTV cameras to be installed in hotspots, um, but even even with that, um, there would be a significant cost to be incurred by city council, um, you know. And you know, like even with that, you would still have in the dead of night what I would effectively call rat runs in and out of the regional park. They could throw a rock or they could burn a bench, and uh, <laughs> unless you had a guard, a helicopter that had a heat-seeking signature, you'd be fairly pushed to find them inside the regional park in the dead of night, Patricia, you know. I know. And do the Gardaí sort of patrol the area as best they can? Because these these youths are not going to do anything in sight if they see a Garda. They'll just wait. A hundred percent. So what's the solution? Look, um, obviously I've liaised with Cork City Council and the Parks Department on this to request again the urgency that we... we, um, we install CCTV cameras in the relevant hotspots, I suppose, parts of the park that would be very close to residential properties. Um, you know, that has been assessed. Uh, the, the executive come back to me, you know, in fairness to them, and uh, all avenues have been looked at in that regard. I've also requested that, in particular, this wall that divides Miller's Court, I suppose, from the new walkway, that, you know, the council would invest in purchasing maybe mature, mature shrubbery and plant it there immediately and not wait for the shrubs that are there to, to mature and grow. Now, and I suppose, look, that may just be a kind of a temporary set, but I would give a firm belief that they were down the regional park in the dead of night and there was uh, a divide-seen aspect with the shrubs between there being no clear line of sight into Miller's Court, you know? Mm. And, you know, that made a turn. But look, the Gardaí, I've liaised with the Gardaí as well. I'm chairman of the Joint Policing Committee here in Cork City and uh, I've liaised with the Gardaí locally here in Ballancolic and they have increased patrols. Now, we did have a major Garda issues out here for years. We had a kind of a white elephant in relation to our Garda station. It was a, a lovely, impressive building. It was delivered back in 2011. Um, and, but we were, I suppose, under-resourced in relation to the amount of guards that were assigned to the station, we lost the section and all at one stage. Now, 
the traffic court have since relocated out here as their divisional headquarters. So the Garda station is now occupied 24 hours a day. It's closed to the public by night. And if, if the public ring, it's routed through the Garda station and Toker. But um, there, there is a conception that we don't have a 24-hour Garda station here in Balancholic. And, you know, in a sense, that's not entirely true because, as I said, it is managed 24 hours. If, if there's an issue arises in Balancholic, we no longer have to rely on Grana Graher. There are guards there. It's just that the call goes through, Toker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the call goes through. And then the other element, and I can see some people already texting about it, saying, these, these youths, are they locals and where are their parents? And that's the other issue. Like, I, I, I spoke to a number of people down there and look, I'm a father myself. I have a 13-year-old boy. He's going to school here in, in locally in Ballincotic, in Gloucester Column. And I know for one reason I wouldn't have, I wouldn't leave him outside the door after 9 o'clock. Yeah. There's no reason in the god earthly world why these children should be down the regional park at 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, you know? And so it's just, it's not fair on the residents. It's just so not fair on the residents. All right. Okay, well, well done for highlighting it, uh, Colm. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Good, good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Cork City Fianna Fáil councillor Colm Kelleher on what sounds like just antisocial behaviour in the Valencolic area. really is shameful. Mike was on reacting to the interview that I did uh, earlier on this hour with uh, Sheena from Sheena Horgan from Drinkaware saying the best thing I've heard so far on radio in a long time about alcohol educate young people. I feel that there is not enough people going into schools talking to young people about alcohol and the situations that alcohol can lead you into. I would love to have had that opportunity to tell my story to students so that they could be aware it can easily happen, how alcohol can affect some people. I went from having a good job to being on the streets and that wasn't at a very young age. I 100% agree that we need to educate our young people and hopefully Mike, your life is back on track and that you're doing okay now but thank you for taking time out to call us. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thoughts are coming into the programme this morning. Let me start on vaccines. The West Cork listener says vaccines. Of course, Boris Johnson in the UK has spare vaccines. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. The UK and the EU are hardly best pals at the moment. The EU had to stamp down, have to stamp down on the stockpiling. The EU get involved when they feel like it. They should have vaccinated the working population first, not those who are in sheltered nursing home and residents and those over over 70s, says a West Cork listener. But listen, the reason, and we're not the only country that have gone down that route where we vaccinate our most vulnerable and those in nursing homes. And I have to say, while I'd love to see all of the working population being vaccinated, I'd love to see everybody vaccinated. I do think it was the right move because when you look at the number of lives that were lost in nursing homes at the start of the pandemic, it was only right and proper that we protected every other resident inside in a nursing home or in a residential unit and then moved to those, the over 85s were were this week. And I don't know how many 80 to 85 years have been contacted, but that's where we're meant to be with the rollout of the vaccine. And then it will move down when that group is done. It'll move down to the 75 to 80 year olds and then the 70 to 75 year olds. But again, it's completely down to how many vaccines we get in this um, country. But Boris Johnson is saying, yes, they have vaccines, but they literally are administering them. They're gone over 
the 22 million I think was the last figure I saw for the number of people vaccinated in the UK So, and they have a population of 65 million so any vaccine they have they're, it's similar to the way we're rolling it out here they're getting it in into the arms of people someone else says Patricia as the Covid crisis rumbles on Paul Reid is on a salary of €422,000 a year plus whatever other benefits they haven't mentioned. Any chance of having a normal life this year is slipping away slowly. People need to realise this. He is on a high wage packet. Would I take his job? No. I I wouldn't and I know people get very annoyed when they see top civil servants on figures like like that but you know that's the going wage for that that job and that type of job and the argument always has to be they have to pay big money in order to retain this staff with the skill set that they have if not they'll end up going into the private sector where they can earn that money and earn more than that money so they have to make the wage packet attractive but it does seem like a huge huge sum of money for one person but listen, it's a tough job Paul Reid is doing at the moment for sure. Hi Patricia, you are planning a holiday around Ireland this summer. What I mentioned, I'm hoping to do a staycation. What I feel is this texter that I don't think it's going to happen. I told you last month you'll be enjoying, you'll be enjoying your holiday in your back garden this year. And I think with the way the vaccine has been rolled out, I was uh, right. I think we're going to be in the same boat next year as we are this year and last year with the way the government is going enjoy your garden says this text well if you think about last year and we did manage those of us lucky enough to manage a bit of a staycation and I did I spent some time down in West Cork and I also went to uh, Galway the weather wasn't great but it was nice just to get away and have somebody else cooking and cleaning and looking after me for a change but anyway the way the figures are going if you're looking at the figures day on day I mean if we get the figures down to any way as low as we were last summer and I know and I accept that the opening up this time is going to be much slower but it is very possible that we will have some kind of a summer Will it be like it was before the pandemic? No, I'm not stupid enough to think that. But I'll never give up hope that we won't have some kind of a summer this year. And I know the vaccines are the ones that are going to make the big difference. But the vaccines, while we're not getting the targeted amount of vaccines we hoped to get, we're still getting vaccines. We're still administering vaccines. I mean, as we speak today, there will be some of our listeners heading off to the local GP practice, very buoyed up about the news that they're going to get their vaccines. It's not that there's no vaccines coming into this country. There's just not not enough of them. But all of the pharmaceutical companies, we know they're all ramping up supply, but it's just that every country in the world are looking for these vaccines and that's the problem that we're finding ourselves in. We're in this battle with all of the other countries for the vaccines. So we just have to, as somebody said earlier, uh, Patricia, we just all have to be a little bit uh, patient. But then a listener says, where is this uh, gone? It's here saying it's an excuse It's only an excuse by the government. We are in the EU. So why is Germany not helping us with the vaccines or any of the other EU countries? The government didn't even ask for it. Germany are doing very well with vaccines. How do I know this? My son lives there and he's keeping me up up, uh, to date. Well, we're getting our vaccines per head of population. It depends on the population of each country and that's the way it's divvied up. But we are 
doing well when you compare us to other European uh, countries. We are still in the top five in Europe for vaccinations. We have 3% of our population fully vaccinated and I was surprised to see the figure for the first shot now has gone up to 10%. And okay, you're talking about Germany. I took a quick look on from an official German website on the number of vaccinations that they've administered to date and they've actually broken it down by all of the different regions across Germany. But looking at the total, we are actually ahead of Germany when it comes to vaccinations. They have, this is their total for the whole country, they have fully vaccinated, that's the two shots, is 2.4%, whereas we're at three. And the amount of people in Germany who've been given their first shot is 4.5%, whereas we're running at 10%. Now, obviously, if you're looking at it on numbers, they've vaccinated way more, way more people because they have a much bigger population than we have. But if you're going by percentages, we are actually ahead of Germany when it comes to physically putting a shot into somebody's uh, arm. 1850 333 103 on Piers Morgan and the fallout from the Meghan and Harry interview and the news that we got at about tea time yesterday that Piers Morgan has walked away, has left his role as the Good Morning Britain presenter following controversial comments he made about the US actor uh, Meghan Markle and her husband uh, Britain's Prince Harry. A statement was released on ITV. Now when they, when people say that the statement from Buckingham Palace was short, the one from ITV yesterday was very short. It says, following discussions with ITV, Piers Morgan has decided now is time to leave Good Morning Britain. ITV has accepted this decision and there's nothing further to add. End of conversation. Now ITV earlier had announced that the TV watchdog Ofcom, that's like our BAI, our Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, Ireland. They were already investigating Piers Morgan's comments after receiving over 41,000 complaints. I mean, that is an incredible number of complaints. And the main reason that people decided to complain Piers Morgan to Ofcom uh, was that Piers Morgan had been very dismissive about Meghan's claims to have had issues with her mental health. Now on Monday's show Piers Morgan who's long been critical of Meghan Markle uh, said I'm sorry I don't believe a word she says I wouldn't believe it if she read the weather report and of course the fact that Meghan Markle was saying that she'd had suicidal thoughts and that she was in a very depressed state and when she went looking for help that's the one that most people are uh, reacting to and I saw Piers Morgan himself getting criticism on social media for it saying look mate by coming out you mightn't believe anything else that she's saying but you've got to believe her when this this woman says I was so low that I contemplated taking my own life for no other reason but for others who who have gone through and God knows will go through suicidal thoughts they need to know that when they speak out they're going to be believed that's why people are to be so careful even with somebody like a celebrity like Meghan Markle saying I don't believe what I don't believe that she I think she's making that up you have to be so careful about saying things things like that because somebody that you know and love could be reading your comments or listening to your comments and they could be going through a hard time and if you're saying that that you you don't believe somebody when they say 
that they are feeling suicidal that very person mightn't open up to you so you've got to be so careful and somebody in a high profile position like Pierce Morgan more than anything has to be really uh, careful. Adam in Glamour says I feel it was wrong that Pierce Morgan walked off the set yesterday in the middle of the programme yesterday as a broadcaster he should be willing to listen to the debate and then to interact not walk off if it's not going his way however is this the route we are all going if people go against what everybody else says the presenter will simply walk off no I think not I mean I don't know of any many others that would do he should have just listened to what was being said by Alex Beersford who is the weatherman isn't he on ITV and he's a man of mixed race so he's you know coming at it from walking almost in Meghan Markle's shoes he knows what it's like to be of mixed race but of course uh, dear Pierce wasn't having a word of it. Liz says the tabloids shot the goose that laid the golden egg with their vitriol towards Megan, and now she has walked away from them all. That is uh, true. And Michael says, Patricia, don't let anyone be upset by Morgan's theatrics yesterday morning. Never in his life did he walk out of a job that he didn't walk into another one. His battle with Megan goes back a long way and he just wants to get his own back on her kind uh, regards. Yeah, and it seems to go back to they did have some kind of a friendship. I, I don't know how much of a friendship they actually had, but I know following the engagement, he was one of the first to tweet congratulations to Harry and to Meghan on their engagement and saying, you know, that she'd make a wonderful modern bride. And then, you know, put it at the end of it, you know, look, will will I be getting an invite? He was expecting an invite. And of course, the tables turned when he didn't get an invite to the wedding. And when she dropped all contact with him, he took grave, grave umbrage uh, to that. And then uh, yesterday, I I must say, we had a huge reaction when we opened the phone lines on the people that had sat down to watch the programme the night before and I was wondering what the viewership figures I don't we still don't have the worldwide viewership figures for us we know that about 17 million people watched it in the States I don't know what the figures for England are indeed for the rest of the world but here in uh, Ireland more people watched that interview with Meghan and Harry on RTE then watched the 2020 All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship final. The bombshell uh, interview was watched by 725,000 people on RTE2 on Monday evening. That's 50 53.5% of the Irish viewers sat down to watch it at half past nine and it, during the programme it uh, increased to 64% particularly among younger viewers in the 15 to 34 age group and then you can add to that a further 100,000 viewers have streamed the programme on the RTE player and it remains up on the RTE player doesn't it? It stays there for 30 days so that figure obviously will, ri- will rise even higher. So a staggering amount of people really, really interested in watching it, even though when I sat down to watch it, I had already, we knew most of what was going to be what was going to come out because of course it had aired on CBS in the small hours of the morning when we were all in our beds so of course it, it, we found out most of it but it didn't stop us I and mean, they certainly didn't stop and nearly three quarters of a million people in this country sitting down to watch it on Monday night 1850 I'm keeping a close eye on the worldwide viewership figures because I'm dying to see 
will it surpass the most watched interview of all time which was another Oprah interview and that was the one that she did with Michael Jackson 90 million people worldwide watched that one you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie now somebody was asking earlier and I just did a quick look somebody was on to say Patricia are the clocks being changed this year or are they staying the same we have such a love-hate relationship don't we with the clocks jumping forward and going back uh, twice a year it was expected that it would end in 2021 but I've just done a quick search and it's Sunday March the 28th 2 o'clock in the morning uh, daylight local daylight time changes so we will it in the springtime we spring forward isn't it we jump back and we spring we spring forward so we the clocks will go forward an hour and it will be on March the 28th so the end of the month no so that debate is still ongoing there was an EU policy that was decided back in 2019 goodness it was two actually it was March 2019 so it was two years ago and there was a collective decision taken that we were going to stop all this the changing round of the clocks because it was it's from a former time and we really don't need to be doing it now but they still haven't all agreed to do it. I know within the EU they were leaving it up as far as I know to individual countries as to what they were going to do and there was a lot of people here in Ireland were very much in favour of it but then we were going to have the problem because obviously with Brexit happening and the UK leaving if the UK didn't agree to stop the clocks going forward and back we would end up in this country having two time zones one for Northern Ireland and one for Southern Ireland and that in itself was going to cause a problem. So certainly while it's still something that's been discussed and don't you know in that last week in March as we're coming up to the clocks going forward, don't you know, we will again have the argument as to why it needs to stop. But you you are right, there certainly was an EU policy decision made two years ago to stop the changing of the clocks but it hasn't been uh, put into law so the clocks will be changing this uh, or the end of the month we will remind you of it closer uh, to the time Uh, interested in your um um, okay, I can go to this. I can go to this. Thank you, John Paul. Okay, on post has rejected suggestions that moving parcel collections to shops will be the death nail of the post office network. Fine Gael Senator Tim Lambert, who is based in Kinsale, joins me with his concerns. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. How are you, I'm, I'm very well and, and you're welcome to the programme. OK, can you start by outlining what on post are doing with this parcel collection and return scheme? So what Unpost have done is they've written to some convenience stores throughout the entire country, offering them a line of services that are usually only in Unpost post offices. So the services that they've offered people is quite alarming in many ways. So things like parcel collection, parcel delivery, um, selling of actual post stamps itself, uh, and the selling or the, the sort of bills. So... It's, it's basically the undermining of the core services that Unpost has. So what you can actually do, you can give cards, um, say the sale of stamps and packages, bill paying, prepaid services, and um, daily collections as well, and daily returns of packages. 
Now, that to me is the core service of any post office. So if you have a scenario that they're offering that to a convenience store in the same village as a post office, that post office won't be there in three months' time because you're going to have a shop open probably from 7 to maybe 10 at night doing the exact same services and the post office is totally undermined. Now, unfortunately, on post are saying this is a good news story. They're saying this is you know, the way things are going to go. We're trying to make people have more quality of service. But the knock-on effect is we actually will lose a plethora of post offices throughout the entire county off the back of it. Well, on post, you're saying that, that they need these. They're called post point services. They say it's because of the increase in online shopping. Are they saying that the post offices that are in place can't cope with it? I, and there seems to be no real engagement that I can see with the Postmasters Union on this issue. There was deep shock when these letters arrived at convenience stores throughout the county about it because uh, the Postmasters Union knew nothing about these dramatic changes to the service itself. Like they're basically putting this on one item, which is the collection and delivery of returns and packages. Like, they're forgetting to mention the sale of stamps, which they're also saying in their letter, the bill pay element, the gift card, and also other paid services, like um, gas, electricity, and all those other things. Yeah, and your mobile so, top-up uh, services. I, I mean, like, there's very little on the list from on post that I'm thinking, what else does the post office do? They oh, seem it's to, it's, it's, it nearly seems to be every service at the post office. The only thing I can see on it, could I get my television licence there? I'd start, do you know what, you're probably right. That's the only one. That's I probably the only, the only one that is. But I'm post say that these new locations, these post point uh, locations, will be distant from the nearest post office. So the person that I spoke to in Goline owns the, owns the shop in Goline and yeah. his gable end wall is the post office. Aha. Aha. So you have the distance of probably one metre to your post office then that is not a suitable distance from what I'm hearing. So and what we know they're saying is totally untrue from the information I've received. And we also know, because we've spoken to enough of the postmasters and postmistresses over the years, they get paid per transaction. So that's why we're always saying to people, use it or lose it, get into your post office, do as many transactions as you can because that's how they get paid. They don't just get a wage. It's all done on transactions. So if you are taking transactions from a local post office and moving it to a convenience store down the road, I can well see where your concerns are coming from. That post office will be forced to close. They won't be on post to make the decision. It's the postmaster will make it. Yeah, and they'll undermine it at their core. Number one, the convenience store will be open from 7 to 10 more than likely, so there'll be a range of times. But the real issue here is this is the exact same model they did in the UK about a decade ago, and they ended up having no post. All the post servers were relocated to convenience stores, and the entire service collapsed all of, all of a sudden then. So they're following the UK model which we've seen how that actually impacts on the actual postmasters and the unpost service itself. Like, to me, this is the final death nail now to the actual post service. They are actively undermining core services. This line that they have is that they're not putting it in areas where there is um, a post office. is totally untrue from the information I've received. Like, literally, at the gable end wall, we have post office in Goline. 
and we have the shop next door getting a notification that he can take the services. That, to me, is blatant, and it's very unfortunate that Unpost have gone down this line. And Unpost are canvassing. You're saying they're writing to convene? Absolutely. And I've received correspondence from several of these convenience stores that they have got the correspondence from Unpost offering these line of services. And it's actually like the same week that we're talking about putting banks and banking services into post offices. What Unpost didn't have done in turn is they've done, they've tried to undermine their own services by actually giving away the core industry itself. So I think it's a massive issue. I think if we go ahead, we've seen the closure of banks in West Cork in the last 10 days. Now we're going to have, in my opinion, the undermining of the post service by this move by Unpost. Because these post offices can survive if the exact same business is happening in the shop next door. Yeah, and you can't, one of the things on the list, you can't pick up your pension there. So if your post office closed, that then is forcing people who do go in to pick up their social welfare payment, be it a pension or whatever it is every week, it'll be forcing them to have to go online or to, to get it paid by direct no, debit. And yeah. yeah, and I think that's, the, that's unfortunately the strategy in the line. And I do have to take offence to this, you know, it's a good news story line that Unpost are throwing out. To me, it's anything, but to me, this is their spin master machine trying to twist and turn because it can't be a good news line if they're actually fundamentally um, eroding the services. And this line that they're not doing it in the area where there's an active post office. It's simply not untrue. true. Yeah, it's simply not true. And, and you also say you're adamant that the postmasters were not contacted. They were, under, they were unaware. Yeah. Well, from the postmasters, from the postmasters that contacted me in the last maybe 48 hours, which there's been several, they haven't heard anything. No, they've gone back to their union saying were they aware of any of this. But the postmasters that I've been speaking to, and I've speak to maybe seven of them from West Cork in the last um, few days, uh, they were blatantly, unfortunately, sidelined here. They didn't realise this came down the road at all. And, like, they're concerned, like, is now, like, where do, you, where do you, these letters land? Like, I do know the, the man in Goline has no intention of undermining his post, postmistress. He's not going to go near it. He's an honourable man. But there could be some community stores that say this is another avenue to, for my business and I'm going to t- take up the baton and run with it. Well, well of, course, of course they are. And I don't think anybody would knock a convenience store who's trying to stay in business if they can get extra work in through the door. Because Margaret is pointing out, isn't this already happening? You can pay bills in some shops and you can drop parcels off. Yeah, but that dropping parcels off is not posting parcels, Margaret. It's slightly different anyway. Margaret and says... You in, no, you, you can't sell and 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 it's and the all for one cards are in there and all of the bills you can pay some bills in shops but you can't pay all of them. There's a range of different prepaid so services that 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 imposter like, are planning on moving from. Well, not moving from. They'll say they're not moving them, but if they're available in a convenience store, the idea is people will go there rather than go to their post office. So there was never a scenario before where imposter parcels were being dropped off in not an imposter um, operation. So, like, there could have been arrangements with other companies that had parcels. Well, you can return. You can return parcels to some 
supermarkets. They have that. It's but that's 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 a deal done with companies that are selling online. That's not. Yeah. That's, that's very not, different. That's you can't go into a convenience store at the moment and say how much is this going to cost me to post it to a loved one in Dublin or or or, or whatever. Um and. <laughs> You seem to be the first one raising this and talking about this. Is there, is there anybody else at political level concerned, Tim? Well, uh, well, what we've done now in the office is we've written to both Eamon Ryan and both Tone Post about this issue. We wrote to him a day before yesterday because we were really concerned. Um, like the reaction that we got from the Postmasters in particular, like they're doing their best to survive in a very, very challenging environment. Um, and like they got a kind of glimpse of hope maybe 10 days ago saying that banking services might be coming their way regarding Bank of Ireland but unfortunately banking services won't survive if the core industry is taken away from them and like I agree this is a boat from the blue this is something that I thought Unpost would never do because I think commercially what it actually does it totally undermines the operation of the Postmasters like these people have tried so hard to keep afloat this effectively could be the death nail of them because they can't survive if they actually take their primary industry away from them. It'd be such a shame, such a shame. Okay, keep us posted on this, uh, Tim. And in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us thank on the programme. Good morning to you. Uh, 1850 uh, John Paul taking your uh, calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And I've started a debate without even meaning to it when somebody was asking of the clocks going forward this year. And I was saying, yeah, it's going to be at the end of the month, the last Saturday in March, which is the 28th of March. Somebody's saying, please leave it at summertime. So let us go into summertime. Uh, Jill in particular says, go into summertime because by going forward now, we'll be moving into summertime. But uh, Jill and a couple of others are saying, leave it then. So don't put the clocks back next October, which is when they're due to go back. Will something happen between now and then? I don't know. I don't know. But there is an EU policy there that states it can stop, but it's up to each individual member state. John Paul continues to take your calls at 1850. 333103. It is Wednesday, by the way. Peter Dowdle will join us later on today. If you have gardening questions, you can get those in. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Just on a breaking news story, the European Commission has announced that 4 million additional doses of the BioNTech Pfizer vaccine are to be delivered this month. They're saying for COVID hotspots in the EU and new variants to be distributed on a pro rata basis. So there's more to follow. That's just a breaking news story. So what we will get per head of population from that, but we certainly will get some of it, but it's an additional 4 million doses of the BioNTech Pfizer vaccine. So we'll take that as a bit of good news today. Now, Corsi Rovers GAA, in conjunction with Kinsale Community School and Kinsale Youth Support Services, are hosting a webinar about nurturing emotional well-being and personal growth. To discuss the webinar, which is happening tomorrow night, Thursday, I'm joined by John Hines, who's a member of the organising Committee. Good morning to you, John. Yes, good morning. Uh, Thank you very much for having us on. Well, you're very welcome. Who do you see this webinar aimed at? Well, whilst it is being um, organised and it is an initiative of the GE and Kinsale Youth Support Services and the Community School, as I say, it's for everyone. Um, For teenagers in the age of sort of transition year upwards, 
right across all aspects our, uh, of our communities. And who do you think would most benefit from, from sitting down tomorrow night and joining in in the webinar? I think that's a twofold answer, Patricia. Uh, one, many people probably are experiencing um, positive uh, mental and emotional health at the moment, and there will be strategies how to protect that and preserve it. But equally so, it's well documented that many, many people across our communities and society have been very uh, adversely affected by the, the pandemic over the last year. And there will be ideas and solutions and conversation around how to reach out. Our key message is talk to someone. But there'll be a lot more than that around hope and building resilience, gaining support through talk and the wisdom of kindness that many of us have experienced and seen over the last year. Well done, well done. So can you outline who some of your guest speakers will be in the format of the webinar? Certainly. Um, I suppose we were when we came up with the concept for this event. We, we wanted to have a figurehead that was known in this uh, conversation. And Conor Cusack, who many of your listeners will know through um, his exploits in, in play, on the playing field through GA. In recent years, he's become better known as an emotional health advocate. And that's well documented. So he will be in conversation with two of our um, club members, Niall and Elaine. And we're just going to let that conversation flow around this topic. And once that's concluded, we have a very interesting range of five panel members from different um, aspects of our community. And they will give their reflections and experiences around this this topic. So it, it should really appeal to a very wide range of people. Yeah, because emotional health, uh, John, it's something, isn't it, that a lot of us don't focus on. Yes, I mean, there, there's a lot of different language used around this subject. And I think what we've tried to do as a group with this webinar is to, to, to make it even more socially acceptable to talk about this. And that's what we would hope would be the legacy from this webinar after tomorrow night, that aside from returning to the playing field for training or matches or volunteers, committee members, but everybody in the community, if they see the signs of emotional health difficulty, mental health difficulty coming, that they have an indication or a signpost. I need to reach out, whether that's to my GP, a member of the clergy, a fellow club member, a role model or mentor, that it's just more relevant to people, I suppose, these days. Yeah, and, you know, so many people use in before the pandemic would have used training and exercising and being involved in in a team as part of their positive mental health. And suddenly, because of the pandemic, all of that has been taken away from people. And it's really causing some people to struggle. Yeah, I can only imagine for some people driving past the pitch and seeing the gates locked and not being able to go in and be part of something that's been a mainstay of their life, you know, from very early years, could be very challenging. But equally so, we want to promote the idea of hope. Yes, we are on perhaps the last hurdle, we would hope, of the pandemic. Um, but to, to, to just to stay strong that little bit while longer, we're almost there. But to celebrate the positives too, I mean, if we look at the, the great sense of volunteerism that is in Asian Irish people that we've witnessed over the last year, you know, helping out with uh, meals on wheels or collecting prescriptions, even gardening tasks for the elderly, we, we really are a great nation of, um, I suppose, community-minded people. And this is just another extension of that. 
And the, the GAA in particular, John, have been very much to the fore, haven't they, in, in helping out the com- their local communities? I suppose it, 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 that is definitely true, Patricia, because they're, they're in every parish of every county in Ireland. And that network of people, um, selfless volunteerism, um, it's just a fantastic thing. And I, I'm delighted to see that the GAA, particularly from Croke Park and headquarters, are putting this type of message front and centre and looking after their members and indeed the wider communities that support clubs. So how can people join in in the event tomorrow night? Well, we tried to make that as simple as possible, uh, Patricia. So we've been enjoying some fabulous shout-outs from noted GA and sports personalities on our social medias. So there's a number of ways people can access it. They can go to CourcyRovers.com, our website, They'll find the link there quite easily, but equally so on a whole range of social media channels for other GA clubs in Cork and and our own social media channels. The the link for the webinar will be pinned up there. So I'd suggest to people, make a cup of tea there around quarter past 20 past seven tomorrow (laughs) evening. Get yourself comfortable, sit down, and uh, hopefully we'll keep you entertained on this very very good topic um, for well about done. an hour and a half well an hour done. and three quarters and you know these webinars uh, John it's one of the you know when we're always trying to look at some of the positives out of the pandemic these webinars are great because you could have held this before the pandemic you could have held an event like this in you know a local community hall in the GAA hall in, in the local school you know and you might have been lucky to get a few hundred people to attend whereas on these webinars you can have Tens of thousands of people from all, it could be all over the world. It doesn't even have to be locally joining in. Yeah, I, I, ho- I hope you're right there, Patricia. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing, um, I suppose, the traffic report about how many people do access this. And perhaps it might give fuel to the GA to look at this uh, as a kind of a wider um, kind of regular uh, webinar that could be held. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Listen, we wish you luck uh, with it. And it is tomorrow night at half past seven. CourcyRovers.com for people to get the link on any of the social media platforms. Listen, we wish you luck with it, uh, John, and to all of the participants taking part. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme today. You're welcome. Thank you. Good afternoon to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, John Hines of uh, Corsi Rovers in advance of their webinar tomorrow night. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming in. Uh, Porrick in Glamworth. That's an interesting one. Porrick says, is it just me? Or has anybody else noticed that the ads on our TV channels are much louder than the actual programmes themselves? And Porrick says, it's not just RTE. I've noticed this on Virgin Media as well. It seems to me as if the programme, say your TV volume is set at a five, then when the ads come on, it's as if the volume jumps to a seven or an eight. Now Porrick said, it could just be my ears but I hope not and has anybody else noticed that I'll have to be listening now very carefully to the TV tonight to work that out anybody else notice just when the ads come on that you notice you almost have to turn the TV down a little bit that it's much louder and then when the programme comes back on again you have to turn it back up again uh, because it seems to be set at a different volume I'd need somebody in advertising now to tell us that is this a phenomenon that actually happens that they do actually set the ads slightly louder to make sure that you hear them I can't say I've noticed it but Porik, I will keep a keen ear for it and let you know but we'll give it out to see if anybody 
everybody else? Is it just poor old Porrick? Is it just his ears? He hopes it's uh, not. Let us know, please, if you've noticed that. Just the ads on the TV louder than the actual programme itself. 1850-333-103. And when we were talking about the clocks going forward at the end of the month, somebody says correctly, by the way, Patricia, Saturday is the 27th of March, not the 28th. And you are right. But you know when we talk about the clocks going forward or going back, you always kind of say, I should happens on Saturday night because you go to bed and you either put your clocks forward or you put your clocks back. But of course, it doesn't physically happen until two o'clock in the morning, which technically is Sunday, the 28th of March. So thank you. You are right. And I was wrong to say the 28th being Saturday the 28th is the Sunday so it's the Saturday into the Sunday morning that the clocks will change lots of questions coming in for Peter if you want to keep those coming in to us please either by phone to John Paul or if you want to text or WhatsApp me 0862 103 103 couple of people picking up on or just on the clocks Tim says was it intended that going forward Sunday the 28th of March would be the last change Tim I think it was yeah I'm going to look into it now uh, that we're coming closer to that date but my understanding of it was that it was two years ago it was in March of 2019 that we spoke about the clocks changing and not changing ever again and the EU made that policy decision and it was down for 2021 with the understanding was that we'd go into summertime in 2021 in March and then that would be it. But I can't find any indication that that is to happen, but it certainly was been spoken about. Leave it with me though and I'll see if I can find out more for you. A couple of people are on about Bank of Ireland and the news breaking about Bank of Ireland trying, looking like they're going to buy out a Davy stockbrokers. Hi Patricia, isn't it strange the Bank of Ireland announced the closure of 103 of their local branches and yet today there's talks of them buying Davy stockbrokers. It beggars belief that they would even consider buying a company that scammed a customer out of millions. They have no regard for the small man, says this texter. And actually earlier on, I just didn't get around to it, Dan says, Patricia, to hear Bank of Ireland are attempting to buy off the bond company has my blood boiling. Surely they must first pay back the money that they, I can't use, as they took from us in 2008 when they were bailed out. Also, would should they be allowed to trade in that business, uh, says uh, Dan. And this is the story of, that is breaking, I think it was the Irish Times have been the first to moot it. It's Bank of Ireland, which by the way, the government owns and all of us own a 14% stake in, has made an early stage approach to buy Davy as the future of the future ownership of the stockbroker now appears to be up in the air. Any purchase of Davy by Bank of Ireland would involve the bank buying back the broker it once owned before a management-led buyout of the company during the property boom happened some 15 years ago. The scandal around Davy, which is Ireland's largest stockbroker, exploded, of course, last week after it was fined 4.1 million by the central bank for its failure to supervise a group of 16 of its own employees including senior personnel and key management owners in their 2014 profiting from personal dealings in the sale of Anglo-Irish bank bonds and it uh, has developed really amid a a political crisis and I know we've seen people within uh, Davy resign
fine because of it but yeah some people very annoyed to hear today as I say the story I think is out coming out I think it was the Irish Times first reported the Bank of Ireland had made an exploratory approach to Davy should the broker decide uh, to seek a buyer so it looks like they are interested that's not sitting well I have to say with some of our listeners today for sure Okay they're all questions coming in for Peter thank you for that I'm Paul Reid who I mentioned earlier from the HSC and somebody was complaining about his salary at €420,000 a year and I was saying I wouldn't I wouldn't like his job I think it's a very very stressful job when somebody says sorry now but I cannot agree with you on the amount of money that Paul Reid the head of the HSE uh, earns or that he's worth this exorbitant amount of money it is a crazy figure for any one person to earn it's just like RTE and all their stars list. Paul Reid has huge staff so it isn't that he's overworked as regards the vaccine. All he seems to be able to say is we can't get our hands on enough vaccine and we're working hard to put things in place. Obviously maddening all of those overpaid puffed up committees and subcommittees and sub-subcommittees earning a fortune for their tuppence worth. Uh, So I think the theory is nobody is worth that kind of a salary but you're right there are people within RTE who are earning that and earning even more and it, that's kind of hard I, I do find it, that those kind of wage packets hard to justify at times but RTE will say if we don't pay it they'll then move to somewhere else staying on vaccines Patricia people who've lost loved ones will never ever forgive this government they're, I feel they are letting their citizens die while they're falling over themselves one doesn't seem to know what the other one is doing there are too many chiefs and not enough Indians says this uh, texter and then some of your WhatsApps are coming in to us. This is um, the Harry and Meghan issue. The Roy family have a far better ambassador than Meghan Markle. Her name is Catherine. Duchess of Cambridge. Harry and Meghan should be ashamed of themselves, whining and complaining about how hard done by they are. In the middle of a global pandemic, Meghan has realised she married the spare and not the heir. Couldn't bear the idea of a lifetime of playing second fiddle to Catherine. Piers Morgan can see through it all though. Kind regards, uh, Claire. So there's somebody very much on Piers Morgan's side of this particular fence. And then some calls into John Paul. Oh, this is on children with COVID. This is an interesting one from Fidelma. Fidelma says, why don't we hear anything about the young children who have been sick with COVID? It's something I never hear reported. I only hear of older people and middle-aged people, but we never hear about children. Well, there are there are figures out there on children who pick up COVID. I think the reason that isn't spoken about a lot is that the majority of children who get COVID, many of them have little or no symptoms, only that they've gone forward for testing. The parents wouldn't even have known that they had COVID. COVID, it's usually a case of they've been in close contact and they go forward uh, for testing. Now, that's not to say that some children haven't become very unwell. They have, but it's a much lower proportion. But coincidentally, Fidelma, it's interesting that you raise it today because new figures obtained by the Irish Independent show the effect of COVID-19 has had on school children. And the figures of people getting children getting COVID-19 are, I think, a lot of people will accept high. It's just that they don't get very sick from it. 13,000 secondary school aged children and 10,000 primary school aged children have been diagnosed with COVID since the start of the pandemic. So that's 23,000 children in uh, total. 
Almost 6,000 under the age of four have been infectious. There's another 6,000 on top. Of those aged between zero and 18, more than 400 have been hospitalised, but fewer than five have, have died. So I suppose that's why there possibly isn't the same amount of attention. The numbers that end up in hospital and sadly the numbers that end up dying. I mean, to think that five children have died of COVID, my God, those poor, poor uh, families. But it pales into significance against the number of older people that have died. So I think that's why all the attention goes on at uh, the older people. And then looking, breaking down the figures further, the highest number of cases and hospitalizations were in the 13 to 18 year old age group in total 159 of those were hospitalized then the second highest number of hospitalization were in the 0 to 4 so the real smallies 147 children in that age group were treated in hospital and then uh, in the 12 year old age, the 5 to 12 year olds, the primary school children, just over 10,000 were diagnosed with COVID-19 and a 100 of those ended up in hospital. So the, the stats are there, but they're low enough. And that, as I say, is probably one of the reasons why we don't hear so much about it. But certainly the figures are there. Familiar, Fidelma, thank you for your call. Sean in Lep. This is on Porrick from Glamworth who wanted to know, is it only him that has started to notice that the ads on the TV are much less louder than the TV programme itself and the example he used was if your TV is set on five watching a TV programme as soon as the ads come on it kind of jumps to between seven and eight to the point where you'd nearly have to turn it down Porrick feels Sean and Lep said this has been going on for years the ads are always louder and it's always been the case it isn't anything new and is it done is it deliberately done to draw our attention to ads I wonder Sean in Lep John in North Cork says Porrick is dead right some of the uh, ads are louder than the actual programme themselves and Mary in Mitchestown says tell Porrick he's right when the ads come on during a programme they definitely definitely are louder so Porrick I think because Porrick contacted us because he was terrified to think it was just himself was there something wrong with his ears and I can see a flood of texts and I'm um, and a flood of WhatsApps. So I know they're coming in in the middle of gardening ones, but a number of them as well are backing up. Uh, Elizabeth says, poor, to tell poor, my TV is is the uh, same. And Meg says, yeah, the ads are so much louder. Meg reckons that she has to turn the volume down. She finds the ads are so much louder than the actual TV programme themselves. And here's somebody in the know. Hi, Patricia, I studied marketing in college and your listeners 100% right. It is an advertising tactic because they figure a lot of people go to make a cup of tea or get a snack or go to the toilet so they use the volume for the ads to get it into your ear there you go I knew I was saying I bet you it's done deliberately so it's nothing wrong with your TV nothing wrong with their ears it is a tactic by the marketing people don't you learn something new every day on this programme 1850 333 103 John Paul takes your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's community support programme here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic. See corkcoco.ie Limerick University students, they're holding a Jacinto O'Brien Memorial 999 for the Frontline event 
from Monday the 22nd to Friday the 26th of March. It's raising funds for Limerick Suicide Watch, the Martyr Foundation and the Irish Cancer Society. To take part, they're asking people to run, walk or cycle nine kilometres, donate nine euro and then nominate nine friends to do the same. You can check out the 999 for the Frontline on social media for further details. Marymount's Rebels Way Challenge will take place uh, and they're on a, a hundred kilometre virtual trail from Glengareth to the wilds of Jersey Island, all from your local 5k area. Participants can log their daily kilometres but can virtually track their route along the beautiful landmarks and coastline of the Bear Away. And you can register funds for Marymount by setting up a fundraising page and recording your walks using the hashtag hashtag Marymount Rebel Way. You can check it all out www.marymount.ie for further details. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Now earlier I spoke with Fine Gael Senator Tim Lambert who is afraid that a decision by Ompost to move parcel collections to shops, he feels it will be the death nail of the post office network. Paddy O'Shea I had a post office and spokesperson for the Cork Postmasters was listening and uh, Paddy joins me. Good afternoon to you Paddy. Good afternoon, how are you? I'm very well. Senator Tim Lombard said as far as he knew Postmasters had not been consulted about this decision by on post with these what they're calling post point agents. Post point agents that's right. No we weren't informed no. When when did you first hear about well, it? Well, I, I heard it from the woman in Goleen because I look after West Cork as well and uh, she sent me the whole lot, the, uh, what was sent to her next-door shopkeeper. So, I mean, basically, like, we are struggling. Now, we had, we since Christmas now, we had a, a good time scale north of the past was going through and off that the stuff going through from people over the COVID. You know, they're sending stuff to their to their uh, grannies, and they're sending it everywhere. But they, we, we have we have been busy with mails. But I can assure you, we do we do three or four times as much to make a few bob. You know, we've no problem with with the pressure at all. You know. Yeah, yeah, and and as well, it's not just parcels. So no, when no, you, when no, you look at the other services, them here, they are. I'll tell you what they are. Yeah. National and international stamps to your customers. Sell one uh, for gift cards to your customers. Allow customers pay all the major household bills available on the, on the on post bill bay. Set a range of prepaid services to customers, including all prepaid gas suppliers, mobile top-ups, and selected prepaid electricity suppliers. That's the, that's nearly all what we do. That's not, yeah, the only thing missing off that, what I spotted, was the TV licence and, 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 and people picking up their pensions. But my fear is if the post office goes, that post point, you won't be able to pick up your pension there. They'll force people then to have the, the bank. Yeah, which a lot of older people, as you know, Paddy, don't want. That's right. You can say that again. No doubt about it. But I mean, we were on Zoom with a meeting yesterday and Zoom and we had some of the uh, the top people in, and we pointed all that out to them, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know that, you know, if 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 things can be d- done up the road, you know, it's going to knock us flat. There's no doubt about it because we are paid. I heard you saying it on the interview earlier on. 
that we are paid on transactions. Mm. If we don't have transactions, we won't survive. Simple and straight as that. Yeah, and this argument that the new location will be a distance from the nearest post office. Certainly the example in Goleen, it's not a distance from the post office. And here it isn't. Down the road there's a supermarket and they have it as well. So your fear is they're they're trying to force you into closing. There's no doubt about it. Like like you know, I think myself that that you know the post office. I've said it many times. is a unique organisation. We look after people. We're there all the time. We'll do everything. So I mean, but you need a few bob to keep going. You know, if you don't, you won't survive. As well as that, I thought we gave great service to the COVID for the past twelve months. Like also our staff as well. Like we were there. We took chances. We dealt with people all the time. We never went away. You I never closed. We gave service and people are saying we gave yeah. great service. <laughs> but I don't think on post uh, sees it that way, you know. Yeah, and you never closed during any oh, of the lockdowns? Never closed, never no, closed. no, you were always there. You were That's always right. there. So, OK, well, listen, at least it's been raised and highlighted now. Yeah. Attention has been drawn to it. Let's see where it goes uh, from here. But Paddy, in the meantime, listen, thank you for your call and stay safe. OK, thank Thanks you. Thanks a million. Bye-bye, Bye-bye. Paddy O'Shea. I had a post office who was also a spokesperson for the Cork uh, Postmasters. And I have to say, Porrick in Glamworth with his ads on the TV louder than the actual programme has just exploded the amount of people uh, uh, commenting. Mags uh, says, yes, the ads, very loud. You often have to jump up and turn it down. They're wicked loud, says Mags. And the fact that she's to jump up and turn it down, she doesn't even have the remote control beside her. So they're getting you, they're making you do a bit of exercise, Mags. At the same time, afternoon, Patricia, I find the very same with certain channels, though, turning up and down the sound all the time. That's Catherine in Cork. So it isn't on every single channel has the ads louder. Catherine in Cork reckons only some of them do. Hi, I have the same problem with the volume of my TV. I am relieved now to hear this discussion on your programme this morning that it's not just my TV. Says Jackie, I thought my TV was actually on the brink because I was noticing it uh, so much. And someone else says, no, tell Porrick it's not his ears. I've noticed the ads, particularly with the virus since the coronavirus has arrived and the ads that are looking for money for other countries or the third world countries. I notice a lot of these uh, ads looking for money and they always seem to come on at a time when you are eating your supper are having your dinner. That's the timing of the ads as opposed to to them being uh, louder. Audrey says, I agree with Porrick about the TV. I find the same. I find films much louder and then the ads can get really, really loud, says Audrey. Mary says ads certainly sound louder. Yes, definitely. Counterproductive though, says Mary, because I mute the ads for that reason. <laughs> the advertisers I'm going to like to hear that Morris says that man is dead right the ads on the telly are just too loud Eleanor says I agree with Porrick the ads are actually way louder than the programme tell him it's not his ears we are all the same ok so lots and lots of similar texts like that so thank you for people taking uh, time out to uh, contact us and a West Cork listener says Patricia would you please issue a word of warning to your listeners about the importance of locking their cars at night in the driveway or outside their homes, even in very rural areas. I understand, says this West Cork listener, that tax and insurance discs are being robbed from screens. So please just beware. God, that's a new one on me.
me and I know we're always telling people to keep their car doors locked because how many times on our Garda file have we had to talk about that, about cars being not broken into, but items being robbed from cars. But I haven't heard of, that's a new one on me, if they're looking at actually taking the insurance disc and the taxed disc so please be careful and to people who are contacting us about driving licence that are due to expire the decision was made actually it was made last week or the week before that they will automatically be extended this is due to the ongoing lockdown the extension applies to different groups of licence holders including those who benefited from an extension last year in 2021 drivers who are affected by the extension you can check the new expiry date on your driving licence by using the expiry date calculator on ndls.ie and anyone who receives the licence extension will not be sent out a new licence and the government say that the the change have been notified to the Gardaí so when you think you're driving around and your licence is out of date it's not there. I'll give you an example. Any licence holder who hasn't already renewed and whose licence expiry date is between the 1st of September last year and the 30th of June this year, you will get an extra 10 months added on to your expiry date. And as I say, if you want to check your new expiry date, you can go on to ndls.ie and you will be able to check it. But most are getting about an extra 10 months added on to the end of it, to the end of your licence by way of an extension. And I know the road... Safety Authority, of course, they manage the NDLS. They were asking people who had been granted the extension and already booked an appointment at the NDLS centre. They were asking them to cancel their appointment. So just to let people know you're not driving around on a licence that has been automatically extended due to the ongoing lockdown. Court today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103. 
And Peter Dowdell, the IrishGardener.com, joining me on this Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia, and how are you? I'm very well, and I know we've got a wind warning in place, so we've got to be very careful about the gardens uh, today. And actually, there's already a question in to say a big branch broke off a big beech tree, and the listener wants to know, should I paint the wound or leave it alone? There's two schools of thought on it, Trish, and the, the best way kind of that I have to describe that is if you, if, you, if you look at your own skin or if a child gets a cut or something, do you put a plaster on it or not? So it does depend on the cut. So more often than not, OK, let, let's move away from the, our own human anatomy and all back to the tree, is more often than not, if, you, if it's a clean cut, and of course, if, the, if it was taken down by nature in a storm, the chances of it being clean or low enough because it, it'll peel, peel the bark and stuff like that but, but what I'm talking about is is allowing the air at it like trees have a remarkable way of helping themselves and nature has this remarkable way as we know of, of healing itself so um, I, a long-winded answer to the question I rarely use any kind of these protective paints and I just let the air at it let it, fo- let it callous over uh, the, the risk is you see that where there's an open wound that a fungal or a bacterial infection could get in um and you seal it to try and prevent that happening. But unless uh, you could give the you could give the wound a drench with something like copper sulfate mixed with water, which is a, a an organic uh, fungicide, which would hopefully prevent any fungal infections getting in. But I'm not a huge fan of painting it with one of those sealants because it stops the tree from breathing, and it's it's I'd be much more concerned about letting it callous over itself. Okay, just keep keep a close eye uh, on it. And there's a lot of emails in, but there's one lovely email from Margaret to say, uh, Hi Patricia, Monday was International Women's Day and the theme was purple. I took these photos in my garden. The reason I'm sending them to you is to thank Peter Dowdle that thanks to him, I got the confidence to try gardening. I love listening to his tips and encouragement. I'll never get to bloom, but I can look out my window and sit outside and enjoy myself. Uh, thank you, Margaret, uh, for that. And gardening is wonderful for that, isn't it, Peter? That's a lovely email to get. And thank you very much, Margaret. And I'm delighted to, to have inspired even a small bit of confidence in, in and I've seen the pictures there. It's lovely purple crocus, purple primula and purple heather. It's gorgeous. And, you know, who knows? None of us will get to bloom this year, but who knows? In, in the years to come, Margaret, hopefully you will. Yeah. Um, but it is. It's, it's, gardening is fantastic. And it's, it's proved its worth to a whole new generation, whole new group of people over the last 12 months, Trish. I mean, I've, I've obviously always got it, if you like, because I got the bug since I was a small child, and you like your garden, I do. Uh, and lots of us do, but there's there's a whole group, there's a whole section of the population that uh, have have found a new love of gardening over the last 12 months, and they've seen the, the importance of it, and I'm not even talking from the biodiversity point of view or anything like that, and all the, the other important elements that the gar- our roles that the garden play, but I'm talking about for our own mental health and during the lockdown, having just been able to get out in the garden and touch the soil has been of huge benefit to so many. And introduce children at an early age, I think is so like what happened with you. The younger you get children involved, they'll develop that love. And actually, I was seeing on the papers today, it's research out from Board Bia showing the amount of money that was spent on gardens throughout last year. Because obviously people had extra cash, people who were normally going away on holidays. Or as you say, people who discovered their garden and people spent money, um, jobs that they've been putting on the long finger. It was something like 1.2 billion was spent on gardening last year, according to this research from Board Bia. So I'm not surprised to read that. 
And isn't that brilliant? Because that's money that's staying in Ireland then as well. And it's going into a green industry. And it's 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 good on so many levels. Absolutely. OK, I'm going to go to the phone lines where Nora joins me from Bishopstown. Uh, good afternoon to you, Nora. Uh, good afternoon, Patricia. Now, you have a question for Peter. This isn't for your house in Bishopstown because it's you want to plant by a house by the sea. Yes. Well, first of all, I'd like to just say I'd like to agree with Margaret Thayer with the email. Peter is a national treasure, really. Ah. Isn't that lovely to hear, Peter? <laughs> well, thank anyway. you. I'm blushing here, blushing here for you. Thank you. <laughs> no, I love your column on the examiner and your uh, take on biodiversity and uh, you're a leader in that field. So, but my question well, to today, hear. Peter, is um, I want to cover a wall uh, in a house uh, in uh, South Kerry. Uh, I have two things in mind, a cantoniaster, a pyracantha, which do you think would be the best? Now, some in another garden further back from the sea, some plants were burnt a few years ago and they said it was from the salt. Yes, and... So I, I'm wondering I, I, which would I be always... the hardiest, the cantoniaster or the pyracantha to... to well, um, well, I suppose the short answer to the question, Nora, is they, they will both be hardy and they'll both tick the box for coastal gardening, but but I always shudder when I get a question regarding a garden by the coast because, and I'm not, pardon the pun now, but I'm not hedging the, the question, but it's um, it's so okay. trial and error when you're gardening by the coast. So if you put in a plant, let's say in one part of your garden, it might thrive or at least survive, whereas in 10 feet away, it mightn't. It, gardening on the coast can be that trial and error, as I say, or hit and miss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would, for, for against the wall, I'd probably be more inclined to go with the pyracantha to give you an answer. I'd be more yeah. inclined for a couple of reasons. No, number one, it's more, the cotoneasters will be more ground cover that you're encouraging to get up the wall, whereas the pyracantha will naturally be, you know, it, it just wants the shelter of a wall. It'll, it'll, it's, it's naturally upright in habit. It's yeah. evergreen where the cotoneaster probably won't be. Uh, it, oh, it, yeah, that's it's a good probably, point, actually, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're both much of a muchness in terms of hardiness, but I'd probably go on the pyracantha being slightly more hardy. Right, and would I buy them in pots rather than bare root? I'd say you won't get them. I'd say they'd only come in pots nowadays. Yeah, 99% yeah. of plants will only come in pots. I'd say, yeah, but I mean, yeah. if it was a choice, yeah, I, I, the, the pot would probably be a stronger okay. And what anyway. would be the best time, Peter? Uh, when you're planting from a pot, you could do it any time, really, 12 months right. of the year. So you could do it now, but obviously it's beyond your 5K, so you can't do it now. So the oh, most no, important no, thing is no. when you do do it, yeah. when you do do it, is that you, you, you're you nearby for the first few weeks or months that you can give it water. All right. Oh, yeah. OK, good luck with That's that, great. Nora. And yeah, thanks thanks, thanks a million. OK, let me go to some emails that have come in. Mick from Cork sent on photographs and everything, and we've sent the photographs on to Peter. It's uh, starting with the Grisolinia hedge uh, this past summer winter three of the hedges have been hit with sections dying. The hedges are approximately 50 plus years old. Five years ago I cut them back a fair bit and they came on great. However suddenly there appears with seven sections dying back. Do you think it could be it would be a waste of time to replace as this could happen again and he's attached photographs of the dead parts. Crystallinia hedge. It just it just goes to show Trish the importance of sending a photograph because when I was reading it I was saying that sounds like, like something like Phytophthora or one of these fungal infections but but now that I see the photographs, I'm not so sure. Um, I'm wondering, and I'd like to ask Mick, what time of the, he says he cut them back hard about three years ago. 
So I'd, it could be a fungal problem, but I'm just not 100% looking at the photograph. What I'd like to ask him is what time of the year did he cut it back? Because I think it might have been a bit cold and he might have cut them back a bit too hard. That's what it looks like to me. Now, uh, when you do that, what it does is one of two things. It can just lead to the, the plant being more susceptible to the cold temperatures, but also it can weaken the plant, which will allow infection in. OK, so it could have been one of those. Um, my my gut looking at the photograph is saying it's a, as you if you see the photograph there it's, yeah. it's a very very thick mature hedge so my gut is telling me that those I, I I'd leave well alone is what I'm trying to say maybe just give it a good feed for the moment um to, to see if the bits that are now brown will actually regenerate and green up and I think even if they don't that there's enough growth in the rest of the hedge to fill the gaps all on their own so. I, I would leave it for a few months, give it a feed with the nature safe seaweed, the Atlantic seaweed one, see if growth comes on again on the brown areas. If it doesn't, then just maybe cut them down to ground level or dig them out. I'd say just cut them down to ground level. And I think that hedge will fill in all on its own without the need for new ones. If the problem gets worse, uh, then it's nothing to do with the pruning. Then we do have a fungal infection. But just judging from those photographs, I think it might come come okay all on its own. Fingers crossed. And Mick also sent yes. in a picture uh, from the archway to the garden. It's a jasmine yes. climber, climber and all the leaves are covered in black. So she likes substance. What could be going on there? It is. And it's, it's a very, uh, very kind of timely question it's a thing called sooty mold trish and again if you can see the picture it's it's very um it's very descriptive term for what it is it looks like the plant has been covered in soot from the chimney mm. uh, and what causes that it, it's it, the, the black is the fungal infection fungal spores but the actual main culprit here is a little scale insect which is a, a, a sap sucker which sticks to the underside of the leaf i actually did a facebook post of it there on my own page iris gardener about a week ago so if anybody wants to have a look at it you'll see i, I describe how to how, and i show different pictures of it so except it's on a choice yeah and that in my picture not on this jasmine um but what so what you want to do is you need to control the sap sucker the the scale insect which is overwintering on the leaves and as the the, the female at this time of the year she secretes this sticky like sticky honeydew type of secretion uh, onto the leaves and then the black fungus spores stick to that so you need to take care of the scale insect first so i'm not going to be uh, advising anybody to rush out there with a nasty insecticide but what you can do if you get yourself a, a product it's grazers is the brand name grazers as in grazing the field so grazers um they do a, a product for uh, cabbage white butterfly and caterpillars uh, but it also works on all sap sucking insects like scale insects and what it is these are these are environmentally sound gardening products trish that uh they, they, they work on different formulations of calcium to make the plants completely unpalatable to different ranges of insects everything from rabbits and deers down to scale insects so different formulations of 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 calcium uh they're excellent range of products so i would get yourself the grazers uh repellent for for cabbage white fly caterpillars and aphids that will work to to get the, the scale insects off the plant once they're gone then you treat the plant with a solution of copper sulfate and water which is an organic fungicide which i mentioned earlier uh, and that will take care of the black on the leaf now the black won't immediately or magically disappear and clean itself off but your new growth will be clean which is what's important okay and then mixed final question and i think a number of people will be interested in this one it's to do with hanging baskets and is it necessary to replace in the soil in large hanging baskets and large pots is it necessary to do it every year for some bedding plants it seems like a little bit of a waste to Mick and uh, he's wondering could he just top it up or uh, and put in a feed or does he have to clear it all out and start all over again every year 
I'm going to say yes. If you want the textbook answer, I'm going to say yes. You do need to. And the reason for that is twofold. Number one, uh, a pot filled with bedding plants, uh, the, the compost in that becomes spent and becomes kind of, you know, empty of nutrients, if you like, after that first year. Um, so there's no nutrient availability in that compost for year two. Now, you can stay on top of it with feeding, but I'd be more inclined to, you know, he does refer to the cost and the amount of work involved in doing this every year. But cost can be negated by creating your own compost, Trish, and you can make your own compost very, very easily. And now that they've stopped taking peat from the bogs, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to have peat compost available in the gardening world anymore, which on the one hand is absolutely fantastic. But on the, the other hand, it's it's a bit of a nightmare because there isn't any there isn't a, a, there aren't brilliant substitutes except making your own compost which is becoming more and more essential now so make your own compost you have the raw materials you have kitchen scraps you have garden scraps everything that's biodegradable and compostable can go into it we might talk more about that in another date as to how to create your own compost but it, the, the first reason you want to, to change the compost in your pots is because as i say the, the nutrients are all gone but also there could be pests there could be like vine weevil grubs or anything in in that old compost um and then if you plant new plants into it of course you're just giving them a, giving them a meal so yeah I, i'm afraid you, you should change it every year sorry for about that nick and james sends in a lovely another lovely email for you saying really enjoy your gardening segment every week and i really enjoyed your presentation at bloom in 2019 uh, james says it seems like a different world back then hopefully we'll see those days again i'm trying to be more environmentally friendly when it comes to my grass and ever since you mentioned nature safe lawn feed i've been trying to buy it here in west cork however it's not easy to get do you know of any outlet in West Cork that sells it any of the garden centres that I've tried in the area do not stock it is it hard to get the nature safe that you're always I'm, talking about I'm quite I'm kind of smelling a rat today, Trish. Everybody's sending me in such compliments and such nice comments. I'm going, what's going to happen next? <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, and I actually replied to James earlier because John Paul sent me on the, the email. So I replied to him that I don't know, obviously, because I can't speak for Nature Safe as to where it's available. But uh, it should be in most gardens. It's an Irish product. It's from Galway. I do, in a blatant plug for myself and my own online business, I do sell it online on the theirishgardener.com. Now, as I explained to James earlier, unfortunately, we're out of it temporarily. But I do hope to have it back uh, within the next few days, back available on the site. But I would have thought, I mean, and that's fine, and we'll deliver it if you want to buy it online, and it will deliver it wherever you want. But uh, I would have thought most garden centres would have it. If, if not, ask for it, because they should have it. Mm. It's an organic product. It's Irish, and it's it's very, very good. And I can't see any reason why they wouldn't have an Irish organic gardening product on the shelves. OK, let me try and run through some questions. Uh, Peter, can, is it now a good time to put farm manure around roses? Yes, yes. A very quick answer to that one. Yes, get it on. You could get it on any time during the winter, but it will help. Yes. Listener says, my lawn is looking a bit run down at the moment. Would it be OK to put brown gold on it now? Brown gold. I, I'm guessing they mean, I'm guessing she mean, he or she means lawn gold, not yeah. brown gold. And it's probably I would yeah, say yes. predictive text. Yeah. Yeah, I would say yes. From middle of March onwards. Yes. Hi, uh, Peter. I got a one kg bag of copper sulphate, blue stone. What do I add to it to make it a spray for fruit tree fungus? Okay, now it depends on the strength of the copper sulphate in that if you get it from an ag store like that. So I'm not I'm not a chemist, so I'm no expert and I'm not going to pretend to be. But I know that the ones that you get in garden centres, you mix a 35 grams 
to one and a half litres of water. So the answer to the question is you add water to it and you make it a solution with water. But at what rate for the one that you've got, I don't know. Uh, I know the garden centre product that you get, which is more of a powder than a crystal, is uh, 35 grams to a litre and a half of water. And here's a question that could be uh, a couple of other people could be having the same issue. Could you ask Peter, please, what would you recommend for daffodils that are very, very slow to bloom every year? It's almost the end of April before they open up. The problem is that the grass is almost as high as the daffodils and then they look very unsightly. My husband is completely frustrated this year and he's threatening to get out with the lawnmower. I can't really blame him. Could it just be the variety of daffodils? Are there late bloomers? Oh, absolutely. In the same way that we can't be having frustrated husbands. That's the first thing that we need to (laughs) to find that. Uh, So the... uh, the, the, in the same way that there are early flowering varieties, some which will flower kind of late November and December, there are late flowering varieties, which, yeah, we keep you going right into April. So I suspect that's what it is. I suspect it's just a, a later flowering variety. Um, but the other thing is, I mean, I understand the frustration, but I suppose in a, in a way, maybe it's just to recalibrating our our. our, our perception of what is clean and tidy and beautiful you know so what if there's a bit of long grass for an extra month um but but if it is wrecking your head completely i would say maybe take them up and maybe put in a, an earlier flowering variety um what's it dutch master is a very good just simple yellow daffodil that would be in flower around this time of the year in fact i was admiring them only last weekend i was in tremor valley park with the kids and there's a gorgeous as always there's a gorgeous display of of yellow daffodils outside and i think fairly sure that's dutch master or carlton which would both be in flower during march i love them they're absolutely my favorite flower and can i just compliment mary and skibberine who sent on a picture saying this is my christmas ponsettia from 2017 (laughs) that my dear brother gave me i cut it back early in january every year into my shirt sheer delight and happiness the new leaves are always so red I love it and it is now it's not as full as you would when you'd buy the poncettia all the green leaves are gone but she's got these really vivid bright red leaves uh, they're, they're fantastic OK listen as always pleasure um, we'll talk to you again next week Peter Look forward to it and as I say Trish on Friday uh, on Facebook on the Irish Garden at one o'clock I'm doing a live questions and answers every Friday and uh, hopefully next week we'll be joined by Charles Dowding who a lot of people will know he, he's uh, a very famous proponent of the no dig movement in the UK so he'll be joining us to, to answer questions on vegetable gardening I'll talk more about that next week Chris. Okay Thanks. enjoy thanks a million that's uh, Peter Dowdle com. that's where I leave you for today thanks to John Paul for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 until then I'm Patricia Messenger very good afternoon stay safe Court Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.